I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is with Dominic Cortuccio about the embodied male and how to show up in your life and relationships. He's the founder of The Great Man Within, a community of masterminds for men working on personal leadership, cultivating depth and finding purpose. The Great Man Within is also a podcast with over 300 episodes on high performance habits and redefining masculinity. He's also the author of two books, Design Your Future, Three Simple Steps to Stop Drifting and Start Living, and On Purpose Leadership, Master the Art of Leading Yourself to Inspire and Impact Others. I'm so excited to welcome him to the show. I actually found out about his work through his Instagram page, and a lot of his posts really resonated with me. And so I'm excited to welcome him to the show. So welcome, Dominic. Yasmin, there are some people who are just born with a podcasting voice, and you are one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And And as a fellow podcaster, I am envious. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. (laughs) Um, So to kick it off, Dominic, I'd love to know what are some of the biggest misconceptions that women have about men? Yeah, there's one that I really am excited to talk about. And it's, there's this prevailing belief that men don't want to talk about their emotions. Now, We've certainly provided a lot of evidence that that is true, (laughs) but (laughs) what I have found as a leader of men's groups and working with lots of men over the last decade is that men are dying to talk about their emotions. The conditions, the psychological safety conditions need to be met in order for them to do so. Because so many men over the course of our lives have been told it's not manly, it's weak um, to speak about emotions, that we've just been beaten into submission and created this kind of wall of armor. And behind that wall, we feel the things, but we never really allow that to get forward because we feel we'll be judged for it. Mm. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. And you know, one of the things that I think you may have seen me post about this on Instagram is um, just as 
most women need more foreplay before sex. Most men require more foreplay before diving into their emotions. (laughs) And so I talk about this need for emotional foreplay. And it's this process of letting a man feel like when he's about to share something that's from behind that wall, that these three psychological safety conditions are met. The first one is knowing that you're going to be listening from a judgment-free perspective, meaning like he can share something and know that's not going to come back to haunt him later. The second condition is that it's agenda-free. So you're not just listening to him to get something from him. If you think about um, you know, the, the analogy I would give sometimes is think about a man who's romancing a woman and he's doing the emotional stuff, but he's only doing it to try and get sex from her, right? That's bringing an agenda and it feels really icky. So if you're listening and you want that man to open up to you, it's got to be agenda-free. And then finally, the third condition is for it to be advice-free. So, you know, most guys, when they're in the presence of other guys, guys are fix-it mentality. You know, it's like, we have a problem, we're going to solve it. Most guys are just used to bringing up something super personal that's nuanced and emotional, and then they just get shot advice back. If you want a guy to actually reveal and to listen to for, for him to feel heard and understood, it has to be without advice being sprayed back at him. That's powerful. Yeah. I think, um, so your advice is for women to just listen and say nothing and, uh, or what's the sort of mirroring that needs to happen? Like does, cause I think in my perspective and maybe some people will share that, like to say nothing might feel you know, like you're not actually taking it in or integrating it. So is there something that we can say back when someone has shared their feelings um, and dropped into that really vulnerable space without giving advice, without, um, you know, reflecting back, like what's the sort of way that we can do that so that they feel heard and seen? Absolutely. And by the way, like if if I had mentioned not saying anything, I certainly didn't mean to. Of course, like these kinds of conversations and spaces that are held are a two-way street. Um, and I just want to be very clear, it's it's you know judgment-free, advice-free, and agenda-free. But if you think about what feels, or if you actually feel into what feels good for you when you open up emotionally, it's often that someone on the other side is receiving you and in a, in a way where it's thank you, tell me more, thank you for sharing that. That must be difficult, the empathizing, right? Like you said, the word mirroring, which I think is a beautiful word. You can mirror someone physically, but you can also mirror them with their language. So, you know, oftentimes men will, you know, kind of share something from their heart around, man, I, no one knows this because I'm doing so well at work, but I'm terrified that I'm going to be discovered that, you know, that imposter syndrome that I really don't know what it is that I'm doing. And when a guy can share that and the partner who's listening can say, I feel that way too sometimes. And that's totally valid. Thank you for sharing. That must've been difficult for you to share. And what does that feel like for you when, when, you know, that comes up for you and you can't speak about it to anyone? Those are the kinds of uh, ways to meet him in those moments that he's revealing. Amazing. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, And what about like the biggest complaints that you've heard men share about the women that they've dated? What are kind of some key trends or themes that keep coming up over and over again in the work that you do? This is a really timely question because um, last night I ran a mastermind session for one of my groups 
And the, the, and we were on a six week journey of looking at our relationships with women. And I read a passage from David Dada's book, the way of the superior man, which for many guys, it's kind of like an initiatory book to waking up around masculine and feminine energies and how to lead with purpose, how to be uh, a trusted embodied man in, in your relationships. And this chapter is titled, Stop Hoping for Your Woman to Get Easier. And the, the complaint that most guys have in their relationships is, man, I thought my relationship would be easier. I thought that you know, she, she, like when we were first started dating, she loved everything I said, loved everything I did. All my suggestions were great. And then over time, when you settle into the relationship, then oftentimes there's the doubting of it, the challenging, the testing, right? The, you know, maybe oftentimes she'll say one thing and then change her mind. Uh, she'll say, he, you know, I want you to plan the date and then he'll go and plan the date and then she'll pick apart the, the <laughs> you know, the, 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 the place that they went to dinner. And what David Dada is saying in this book around stop hoping for your woman to get easier is what these tests are, aren't necessarily her picking you apart. It's an unconscious desire to know that she's safe and secure in your arms. Because if you think about the differences between men and women, which are, you know, in terms of safety, whether it's physical safety, emotional safety, sexual safety in this world, Women have so many more considerations from such an early age that at a deep-rooted level, there's always that constant wondering of, am I safe in this environment? And if she's in relationship with a man, then the number one person that she presumably wants to place her trust and faith into is, that, is the man. And so always she's trying to test and tweak at an unconscious level to see, can I knock him off his game? And if I doubt him or if I challenge him, is he going to love me through that? Is he going to see it for what it is, which is oftentimes just needing me needing to feel secure? Or is it going to get him angry? Is he going to be defensive? Can I cause him to collapse? And, and so what we oftentimes see is guys are complaining about the complaints that women have about them in their relationship. And so what we end up working through is to say, guys, if you come home from a long day and you're exhausted and you've brought home the bacon, and let's say you're in a relationship where she's at home taking care of the kids, and that's you know half of the relationships in our masterminds. The other half are you know women working as alongside uh, you know breadwinners with the, the men in the relationship. But say you come home and you crushed it at work that day, but you didn't do the thing at home that you promised her that you'd be doing, and that's the one thing that she's turning the key, like twisting the screw on. If you throw up the hands in defense, instead of loving on her and saying, you know what? I was not a man of my word. I didn't do that thing. Let me come over here and love on you. And I'm going to go take care of that thing right now. Then you lose trust if you don't, if you don't handle it from that perspective. So I've said a lot there. I'll pause and see if, if there's anything that needs clarification. Mm, yeah, no, this is so, so powerful. I'm you know, I'm just thinking about uh, our Western culture, and I think right now it's it's a strange time, I think, to be in a relationship because I think we're redefining, you know, what does it mean to be equals? What does it mean to, 
you know, have this kind of yin and yang and polarity. And so I personally just find it so fascinating as we're moving through this space. Um, I come from a Middle Eastern background and, you know, you talk about safety. I think that's particularly true, especially for women who are minority women, probably even, mm. you know, it's over-indexed, you know, for mm. us mm-hmm. that we grew up in a, in a, in a country that is a lot less safe. Um, and so that probably manifests in relationships. And um, yeah, so I'm just curious if you've noticed any of those kind of cultural contexts um, at, at play in relationships with like, you know, different types of um, backgrounds, religions, uh, cultures, like how that plays out, or is that something you don't really study? No, it, 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 we have diverse groups of men that are in our communities and uh, men who um, from all different walks of life, different cultures, different sexual orientations, races, religions. And so all of those things have impacts. And even this conversation around masculine and feminine polarity, you know, if you um, you know, like if you listen to some people who are out here talking about masculine, feminine, there's this belief that men are supposed to be masculine and women are supposed to be feminine. That's even a cultural ideology. And one of the things that we have to pick apart in our teachings is yes, more often than not men, I would say, you know, 80% of, of men have a more masculine essence and 80% of women have a more feminine essence, which means, you know, men in their masculine will want to be leaders. They'll want to be structured uh, they'll want logical thinking, right? They'll want stability. And the feminine, some of those traits are much more creative and fluid and flowing and vibrant and colorful. But one of the things that we've also found is there are plenty of men who are much more feminine in their essence, plenty of women who are much more masculine in their essence. And sometimes that's nature, not necessarily nurture. And so even bringing those conversations uh, to the forefront uh, is is paramount because what it boils down to, and I think you said this beautifully, Yasmin, is like we're we're in an an interesting time right now because everything is being redefined. It's so important to understand that each individual is a unique human being with a very particular set of experiences and circumstances where you grow up is very different than what I grew up. And your gender is very different than what I've experienced from my gender. And we have to take those things into consideration. It's helpful to talk about these constructs at a high level, but where they break down is on the individual. And so if we if we say that every man is supposed to be masculine and every man needs to do this, every woman needs to be that way, then we miss out on the cultural, the unique individual perspectives. And it can really alienate people who are great human beings who just need to be seen and understood in their own unique way. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So Dominic, what about, um, you know, breakdowns in communication, um, in relationships, like how can, how can men kind of show up as their best self in the relationships, like through, you know, really great communication. Cause I think that's something that over and over again, I keep hearing from a lot of couples that there's just such a breakdown in, communicating one's desires, what, what one, what one really wants. Um, and so, yeah. So how can they, how can they show up uh, as their best self in the relationship? Yeah, this is, this is a big one. So one of the things that most men don't have access to, which is a prohibitive, which, which is something that stands in the way from them being able to communicate effectively in a relationship 
one of the things that men don't have access to are their emotions. And we just talked about this a few minutes ago where most guys will wall off their emotions. And so one of the things that we teach men in our communities is this practice of emotional fluency. And emotional fluency has a few steps. The first step is the ability to actually feel an emotion, which is revolutionary for a lot of guys who have been taught to numb them out, don't feel it, to actually feel what that emotion is. The second step is to be able to name that emotion. That can also be revolutionary. Am I feeling anger or jealousy? Or is it resentment? Or is it insecurity? Those nuances like of knowing what it is that you're feeling. The third step is being able to actually be with that feeling non-reactively. So for example, if you're feeling that emotion of anger, instead of that anger coming in and then shutting down or that anger coming in, punching a hole in the wall, to be able to just feel that anger and be like, oh, okay, I'm angry right now. And to be with that. And the fourth step is learning how to express what it is you're feeling and communicate that from a place of groundedness. So where most guys get into trouble is they expect in their relationship that everything is going to be logical, <laughs> you know? And that's why you hear the complaint so many times <laughs> of like, you're being irrational or, you know, men will say about women, this, you're, this is too much drama. I'm out, you know? And what it really is, is a guy's inability to actually understand his own emotions, which aren't logical all the time, which aren't sequential, which don't have a, you know, a rhyme or a reason sometimes. It's just you're feeling what you're feeling because we haven't felt what we're feeling. We cannot meet our woman in our, or our partner in relationship because we can't hold space for ourselves in emotions. We certainly can't hold space for another's. So when it comes down to communication, the single biggest tool that we teach, and, and this, is, this is the fun part when we teach it in our masterminds, when guys start to open up emotionally, we create those psychologically safe conditions, judgment-free, agenda-free, advice-free. All of a sudden, guys start to share stuff that they have never told anybody in their lives. I mean, deep stuff. And then all of a sudden, they get to experience what it's like to share something that they feel like they're going to be judged for. And then instead they're loved for it. They share something that's messy and they look, you know, they, they, they feel exposed and vulnerable and yet they're met with love and support. So them getting to experience that, then they can actually do that with their kids or with their, you know, the romantic partner. So that's the single biggest thing that I would say for all guys, if you want to work on your communication, you have to work on your emotional fluency. And how long does that usually take, Dominic, for people to really become experts at emotional fluency? Is it you know, a workshop? Does it take many months? I imagine that for some people it's harder than others. Um, so how, how does that process usually look like? And, and what have you, maybe you can give us an example of someone that you know that has used this very successfully. Great, so to be expert in it, it takes years. To be, uh, to, be, to be someone who can actually be open and available in a relationship, it can take weeks of intensive practice. And what I mean by that is you can learn a few tools that allow you to like, understand how to hold some space, how to hear, how to ask questions uh, so that more emotions are available in your communication. And the way that that has worked for, the way that I personally went through this and I started my inner work journey 11 years ago, which means I basically started doing a lot of personal development workshops, programs, 
hired coaches, you know, did all the things. But one area that I not I did not get training in was around feeling my emotions. So I joined a men's group. I actually started a men's group four and a half years, about four years ago. And we met every Monday night for, for four years. Um, we met for two hours every Monday night. It was in, like the priority. You couldn't miss it. If you missed two meetings in a year, you're out of the group. And what we exclusively worked on was feeling our feelings. And what I would tell you is it took me three months um, of really being able to get to understanding what is it that I'm feeling. I, I got to holding space for others much quickly, much more quickly. I was already doing that as a coach, but to get to my own feelings, it took me about three months to be able to identify the feeling, name it. It took me probably three, six more months to be able to start to cry again after decades of not shedding tears. And I know a lot of men can relate to that as well. And now, man, if you put me in a space where I'm like openly revealing, I can, I can get to tears in three minutes if I'm feeling it. Um, I can quickly feel joy, bliss, beauty, anger, whatever it is that like I'm truly experiencing that's now available to me. And that is a superpower. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, amazing. The range of emotions, I think, um, is something I, uh, you know, anecdotally haven't really seen as much in men as I have in women. So I, I, I love that this is the work that you do and, um, and giving people access to this range and making it be okay. Cause I think right now it feels like, you know, there's a lot of judgment uh, f- from men towards women for their emotions or their, you know, like you said, like the drama or the pushing. Um, and it's, it just feels, it, it, I think that that's where the breakdown happens. Like that's where a lot of men and women, I think, have difficulty understanding each other because um, there is such a range of emotions that we have been given access to from a very young age. And of course, I say this anecdotally, right? I think that we can't generalize, of course, but that's just been my experience. And I would validate that experience. I think that's been most people's experience, including mine. Right. Right. So I want to talk about what it means to show up authentically in relationships. Um, can you talk about what kind of work you do with helping um, men show up as their true authentic selves and um, really bringing that to the forefront of their relationships? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great follow-up question to where we just were, because if a man can't feel himself, if he can't feel his emotions, um, then it's really hard to be authentic. And I'll, I'll share a personal story. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the turning points of my life was about 10 years ago where I was a, uh, a vice president of a fortune 100 company running a large sales organization. We had a $1 billion sales goal, um, you know, I was a respected leader inside that business, a young, young guy kind of doing a role that, uh, um, that felt good for me and felt good for the business, but behind closed doors, what I was using to deal with my emotions and the stress of that job of that business was I was a sex addict. And that was something that built up over the course of 20 years of closeted behavior around my own sexuality. I grew up in a uh, very Catholic. Uh, I went to seven years of Catholic schooling. I had a very uh, religious upbringing, and in my household, like a lot of households, where sexuality isn't discussed. And I imagine, you know, Yasmin, given where you grew up, like you know, you could probably relate. <laughs> yeah. Um, where sex is shamed, or you know, like that was what it was for me. And so when I discovered my sexuality at 14 years of age, it was simultaneously the most electrifying 
and terrifying thing that I ever, you know, came across. And so I, I felt deeply curious about what my body could do, but then also knew I had to hide it. And very shortly thereafter, I found out that, well, as a teenager, when I'm stressed out or overwhelmed or feeling lonely, I could use my sexuality to numb that out. And so I didn't have to feel my emotions. I could just numb like most, like other people would use alcohol or eating, um, you know, gambling, drugs. And so for 20 years, um, that was the thing that I used to modulate and, um, and, and handle my emotions because I didn't have any tools of emotional fluency. And one that ended up happening was, um, you know, in 2013, um, I hit a bottom. I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous to work on saving a relationship that I'd nearly destroyed. And what I ended up finding was there was a world inside of me that I had walled off that I couldn't, you know, that I hadn't discovered. And when I started doing therapy, I started doing coaching, working in men's groups, what I found was a whole litany of resentments that I'd built up, um, things that I'd never spoken up about, uh, dreams that I buried because I thought that I was supposed to follow this path of just going to get the job. That was the, you know, the, the default path of going to the business world, make a lot of money, climb the ladder, you know, save your money. And all of those things ran counter to like what I truly wanted in my heart. But how did I know that when my heart was completely shut off from me? I didn't. So, you know, I spent four years um, in the Sex Addicts Anonymous recovery, and that's based on like the 12-step recovery program from Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just kind of, you know, modified for sex addiction. And after a few years of doing that work, I started having access to these deeper desires. And what I ended up finding was I had fulfilled my mission in the corporate world. And I'd spent 15 years there making good money, you know, in a company that I loved people that I loved and, you know, there were opportunities still available, but what I really, really knew in my heart was I wanted to do what I'm doing today, which is helping lead men to find the best version of themselves. And so I had to confront the, you know, the terrifying proposition and also, you know, inspiring vision of leaving behind everything I built and starting from scratch. And, you know, six years that ago that happened and, uh, and it has come with many trials and tribulations. Cause as you know, as an entrepreneur, like and there's, it's anything but linear or predictable, but what I would say is like living an authentic life, these last six years were richer than the 15 years that, that, that preceded that. And so when it comes to how to find your authentic self, I believe thoroughly that you finding out what your absolute shadow is, the thing that is your daunt, like most daunting thing. And for some guys in our masterminds, it's um, they've had a, you know issues with their weight all their lives. Other guys have had financial scarcity issues. Other guys have had issues with their mental health, you know, anxiety, depression. When they step forward and confront and face those things versus just trying to numb them out. Therein lies their genius and their biggest strength. And many of these guys will go on to becoming coaches in those fields or, you know, starting nonprofits around mental health and these kinds of things, or just starting a side hustle, you know, a blog or a, you know, an Instagram account around these things that give them that outlet to live authentically. 
And ultimately, when you show up living authentic, you're magnetic to everybody you know, around you, whether it's money, romanticism, and even you know, friends and family. Mm, I love that so, so much. I, we recently um, had, uh, oh my gosh, Connie Zweig on the show who wrote the book Romancing the Shadow. Mm. And we dived into like how really there's gold in the shadow yeah. and there's so much of a desire to suppress it in our culture just to show our like best selves, right? Um, but there there is so much juice and beauty and gold in the shadow. And so I love that this is you know, this is what you focus on with men to help them live most authentically. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, Dominic, I'd love to kind of reverse the first question and ask, like, what are some misconceptions that men have about women? What are things that they just kind of are confused and baffled and, um, you know, don't understand about us women? Yeah. Uh, we hit one of those earlier, um, around, you know, the, like the challenging and the, the, um, and the doubting, but one of the other big things, and this is again, coming from the way the superior man, uh, David Dada's book, oftentimes what a woman says is not exactly what she wants or means. It's less often about the words and more often about the energy that she's transmitting. And as men who are oftentimes very logical, rational kind of you know, what you see is what you get. And we communicate with each other with very direct, like, here's what I want. And we kind of know the guy code around that with women. Oftentimes it's not so straightforward. And this confuses men, you know, cause we're used to dealing with like our kind. And so, you know, the, the proverbial where she says it's fine, you know, I'm fine. And a guy who takes that at its, you know, at its face value, man, like you're in for a reckoning because oftentimes there's some energy under there that really wants to be explored. So one of the, one of the stories I can share about this, um, there's, there's a, a woman who, uh, follows my Instagram account and she shared this story with me about, there was a man that she was very attracted to who she classified as like an alpha male. I guess that's kind of her type. He was talking about how he was about to go on this, uh, 30, no, he was amidst a 30 day celibacy period no sex. He wasn't watching pornography. He wasn't um, masturbating. And he kind of was bragging about this to her. And he was just like, you know, like, look at what I can do kind of thing. And she's like, all right, you know, let me see if this guy's really got his chops. And they went out on a date. She decided to do a few things to seduce him, you know, like, <laughs> and batted her eyelashes, whatever it was. And, and they ended up sleeping together on that first date and she lost all respect for him. And what was interesting was, you know, the words she was saying to him was kind of like, I want you, let's do this. And, you know, and he ended up moving off of what he said he was committed to with her not even having to work too hard, she said. And she didn't even know that she was doing this. She, she you know, she said this to me. I didn't even realize I was testing him subconsciously. And so when I asked her, I'm like, what was this about then? Why did you do the thing? that you ultimately were repulsed by, you know, by him. And she said, two reasons, one more superficial than the other. The first one was pride. I just wanted to see like, you know, did he find me attractive enough to, to like throw all of his, uh, his best laid plans to the wind. And he did do that. And so she got that momentary fast food hit of like, okay, that feels good. But the second and deeper thing, and this goes back to what we were just talking about earlier, can I trust this guy? Hmm. 
right? Here's what he's saying. He's bragging about it to me. And she said, I didn't have to work very hard at all for him to just boom, give up on that, which is then an indication that when this man says he's going to go after something in life, his purpose, or if he says, I'm a trustworthy guy, how can she believe in him when she just tested him on the first one and bang, it was done. Now, from his perspective, you know, he's probably like, man, she really like she really wanted it. She wanted me. She's, you know, like she dressed sexy. She was flirting with me. All the signs were there. It was green light. But ultimately what she was really wanting was to see, are you a man of your word? So guys, if you are listening, please listen. (laughs) Your ability to hear her emotions, to hear the feelings beneath the words This is the dividing line between you being frustrated and flummoxed for the rest of your life and you having the deepest intimacy and most incredible connections with your women or your woman or your partner in your life. And so I implore you, please develop your practices, emotional fluency, listen to what's going on underneath the surface because the words are not always lining up with what she's really desiring underneath. Mm, that's so powerful. And just to also highlight the idea of trust and commitment. I think that a lot of a lot of men, I think, don't understand that like your word is your character and your integrity with yourself. Oh, yeah. And so, right. And so for me too, you know, when I'm um in a romantic relationship, if if someone's committed to something and they don't do it time and time again, it's just such a turnoff and it's such a red flag. And it's usually the catalyst for the the beginning of the end. Yes. Um, yeah. So. You, you mind if I jump in on and add one more thing to what you just said? Yeah, please. So I ran a poll on Instagram the other day asking the women in my community, you know, what are the things that men do that cause them to gain credibility? And what are the things they do that cause them to lose credibility? And I got a tornado of answers, right? Like <laughs> women, women love like me being the repository to hear this stuff because their guys, you know, oftentimes aren't there for it. And the single biggest response I got, the number one was when men say they're going to do something and don't do it. Yep. It's that simple. And we were even joking about this last night in the mastermind because we were talking about this. One of the guys in the group was like, I'm guilty of this. And I'll, I'll tell my girlfriend that I'm going to do this thing and she'll check up in on me. She'll call me on it a day later and she'll be like, you didn't do this thing yet. And he's like, yeah, but look at these 17 other things that I did do. Look how productive I was. Doesn't matter. <laughs> like right. the one thing that you said you were going to do that you committed to her, you didn't. Therefore, you have lost credibility with her. And we just have to understand and accept that, guys, because again, going back to if her One of her deepest needs is security. And again, this is not for all women, but for many women, that is a deeply rooted need. If one of her needs is security, then every time, every micro moment where you don't show up to say the way that you say you will is a reason for her to doubt you. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. 100%. One hundred percent. That sounds personal. <laughs> I can feel, I can feel your response is quite personal. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think commitments are important um, in in all things in life, and especially in romantic relationships. So, um, yeah, commitment because it's really just says a lot about what you think of yourself as well, and mm. and your desire to protect 
um, your relationship. And it's sort of, I'm very, I guess, traditional in the sense that I come from a Middle Eastern culture where um, honor is really important. You know, your integrity yeah. and your honor, your character is, is they're, they're all really important. Um, and so, you know, my joke is just don't say anything if you're not going to do it, you know, yeah. just, it's like, why say it? Uh, so, uh, Dominic, I'd love to talk about how things have changed in relationship since the start of the pandemic. Um, how do you imagine that things will also continue to change as we are moving out, uh, frankly, moved out of the pandemic? Yeah, I think there's two, there's two um, categories to address, which would be, you know, number one, the people who are living with their relationship partner, and then number two, the people who are in dating mode. So first, you know, those who are in relationships who have been at home on top of each other and everything's work at home for most, for many people. Um, what I've seen is the, the fact that, that there's no space is creating a, like a lack of polarity and magnetism in the romantic and sex life. So Esther Perel, who's probably like one of the you know, if not the foremost leader in the world right now on relationships. And she's written a few books like Mating in Captivity and um, something about the state of affairs. One of the things she, she says is that intimacy requires closeness, right? So intimacy requires closeness, closeness emotionally, many times in, uh, uh, closeness physically, but desire requires distance and space. And therefore, you know, desire and distance is oftentimes with physical distance. Uh, desires, uh, distances also can be emotional distance, like having some space to, to breathe from each other. And when you're living with each other on top of each other, working from home, seeing each other like all day long, it can be a lot of closeness without much distance. And so the intimacy may be there, but the, like the, the, the desire, the drive can be really depolarized. So some of the things that we're seeing men in our community do are, you know, really creating kind of like these formal situations where like where there can be space for both partners. Um, an example of that could look like, and, and this may be, this, this may sound uh, like really outside the box, but some people are, are doing, you know, sleeping in the guest room. The, the husband will sleep in the guest room for, you know, two or three nights a week. And then on weekend, it's date night. Mm. So just even that space, it's like, okay, baby, you know, I'm coming in on Fritz Friday night. Like <laughs> we're getting like, we're getting our cuddle on or some other stuff, even stuff like that. Men are also stepping into more spaces with like men's work and, you know, joining communities. So they're not constantly relying on their woman for all their emotional needs. So there's some emotional space there where she's not the therapist and you know, there's there's no there's no faster way to depolarize your relationship than making your your wife or your girlfriend your therapist. <laughs> she becomes the mama, and you're the big baby, and she needs to burp you and change your diaper. That's not sexy, guys. <laughs> so that's the relationship, like that's the in-house one. And then what I've seen for the people who are in dating mode, um, I don't even know if this is pandemic-related, Yasmin, but like the thing I keep seeing is. Everyone is on dating apps and, you know, there's at your fingertips, just like gazillion people that you're scrolling through, you're swiping on, you're doing these half, you know, you're, 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 because it's so easy to quickly jump from one person to another. No one ever actually spends the time and invests the time to actually get to know somebody. And, 
And, and I see like from the women in my life who are on dating apps, they complain about guys all the time who kind of come in with the big intense energy and then disappear. Um, and feeling like, okay, I, like, where did this guy go? So, and guys will complain that, you know, they'll make all these concerted efforts with women and then women will just disappear because, you know, they're being courted by a thousand men. So I think what, um, what I see people, what men in my community are doing to break through is instead of the dating apps, they're becoming parts of communities around doing things that they love, yoga, um, Toastmasters, even entrepreneur conference uh, groups, uh, you know, sailing, biking, cycling, these kinds of things. That's where they're starting to meet people who are in interested in the same things that they are. And they get to go out on these informal dates. They're not even dates. They just get to hang around people um, in a non-date setting. It's much more natural. And they're finding partners um, that seem to have more of a, a connection than what they just have randomly on the dating apps. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Bringing it back to <laughs> how people used to meet and, um, you know, community-based uh Introductions, I think, are are wonderful. Yeah. Um, wow. So, Dominic, how do you stay motivated? Obviously, you've you know written and published uh, two books, and you have this incredible practice. You work with a lot of men. How do you keep yourself motivated? Maybe you could talk to us about some of your practices and and also your morning ritual. Yeah, I mean, my 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 motivation is. <sighs> So, so my, my life's purpose is really, and I speak about this on the great man within podcast, which is the one that I run is to help 10 million men over the course of my life, get on the path of discovering and living their best self. And that's an extension of my desire to find out who am I at my best. I heard someone say recently that I think nature's deepest desire is to recreate itself. Right? If you think about like nature is constantly recreating itself and in, in all these different forms. And I think about like, for me, you know, the biggest curiosity I have in my life is who am I? What am I made of? What am I capable of? How much can I love? How much can I overcome? What are my creativities and what are my passions? And when I started that journey for me personally and felt the profound shift in my life, I wanted to bring it to as many men as I possibly could. And so that's why I have these communities and these masterminds and watching these guys discover how powerful they are and overcome these obstacles and, you know, breaking these addictions and habits, resolving these issues with family members, crushing it in business. Like these are the things that light me up. So it's not very hard, Jasmine, for me to stay motivated in the, in the face of all that. It's constantly around me. But to get to your question about like, you know, what are my practices? In order to stay connected to that, I have a an highly intentional morning routine. I could talk about a thousand routines, but I'll spoke I'll spoke of hone in on one. Your morning routine is like the absolute rudder of your day. And it sets the tone for the 15 or 16 or 17 hours that you're going to be awake that follow it. And I know that for most people, you know, who are living unintentionally or drifting, you know, oftentimes you can wake up in the morning, dive right into your phone. You know, look at all the emails, the text message, social media, whatever's going on in news and the weather, and you're just getting fire hosed by the outside world before even putting your feet on the ground, taking a breath, focusing on what is your most important intention for the day. Like you said, before we started recording, Yasmin, my intention 
is for this episode for, for, and I'll butcher some of your words, but it's to create, uh, to reach as many people and create the, the great, uh, amount, the greatest amount of awakening we possibly can for as many people as we possibly can, which was a beautiful frame through which we could step into this convo. And that's been top of mind for me every moment that I've been speaking. How can what I'm saying create an awakening for people? So in the morning, when I wake up and I say, what's this day going to be about? And today I know that I have two podcasts, this one and the one that I recorded for my, my podcast. I need to be open emotionally great. What's going to allow me to do that? Got to eat well. I got to exercise. I got to do some journaling. And so I'm primed to show up to my day, open, ready to serve. And what I see so many people doing who are caught in the cycle of drift and not knowing what their purpose is and feeling constantly time poor and overwhelmed and years kind of rolling off the calendar. What the hell happened? Where do we go? It's because oftentimes in the morning when you wake up, you're just reacting to what's there instead of spending 15 minutes. Or if you're an entrepreneur and you have more time around your calendar, an hour, an hour and a half, getting revving your engine, fueling that tank so you can show up 100%. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. Yes. I love um, all these practices and also setting an intention every single day. It's so easy to just fall into a rut and get you know sucked into the computer and what's going on with social media. Um, so I love that so much, creating that space and setting the intention. Yeah. So Dominic, what sort of things have surprised you while you, you've been on this journey? Looking back, you said that six years was kind of like that turning point. Um, what's, yeah. yeah. What's been most surprising to you? So I think the most surprising thing is, is, you know, as I continue to, as I continue to grow individually, personally, and I see this happen with the, the men that I serve in community as well, is that you start to think there's this belief that as I knock away my problems and my insecurities, that life will get easier. And it's interesting because it just seems like the tests keep getting harder and deeper and, and, and in the most beautiful of ways, because, um, so, so let me give you an example. Um, you know, like 10 years ago, I talked about sex addiction, right? That was like, like the biggest challenge and obstacle that I'd ever been given in my life. And I spent four years in deep recovery. And I felt like I had been initiated into this higher level of operating. And I was like, okay, that is behind me now. And then everything else from this point on is going to be clear sailing, right? And then these last 18 months, I've hit up against something, a physical um, impediment, and it's something that over the last nine months has turned into something quite debilitating. And it's confronted me in the most, it, it like put it this, put it this way, sex, sex addiction was a cakewalk compared to this illness that I've just recently found out it's Lyme disease. Oh. Um, yeah. It was undiagnosed for you know 18 months. It may have been inside of my system for many years, but you know, I, the, the system started flaring up over the last year. And what that's caused is fatigue and imbalance in my hormones. I've experienced anxiety attacks, never had those before. Depression, never experienced that before because my whole system's out of whack. And I've had to reduce my work schedule by about 70%, you know, just to even like just most of my day is dealing with my mental health. And so it feels kind of like I've been tested and many of the other, you know, men in our communities, like as soon as we kind of get over one hurdle, we get a plateau for a while, I get to enjoy it. And then the next spiritual, uh, you know, invitation to become a deeper, stronger, 
more resilient person comes. And what I will tell you is, this has been by far the most trying thing in my life. I will get past it. I'm in the great care and hands of some wonderful um, natural medicine doctors. And we have you know full faith that I'll recover from this. But what this has caused me to face is even deeper layers of fear, of deeper layers of ego having to dissolve that. I haven't worked out in five months and working out is, you know, and shutting down parts of my business to deal with this. And there's ego in that. But all of that has allowed me to discover who am I when I strip all those things away? And it's really put into focus what's most important for me and who the people are in my life that I can count on and who I want to surround myself by. And when I get back to full health, then I will be operating at an entirely different level. So I share that because everyone who's listening has been through a hardship. You've gotten on the other side of it and you feel like, okay, that's done. But then something else happens. Right, right. <laughs> Always, inevitably. And sometimes you get some time at least to breathe before that second thing happens. Maybe it's back to back and you know, and, and you just got to handle what life is throwing at you. But I would say the most important thing to have when you are dealing with that is a, a support system that can put their arms around you emotionally, that can be there for you. Because I can't tell you how many times over this last nine months, especially, that the men in my communities and the beautiful women who are, you know, dear friends of mine, I've got so many wonderful women in my life who bring an entirely different level of support. How many times I've needed that when my back was against the wall and, and it was, uh, it was quite frequent. So that's what surprised wow. me. Wow. Oh yeah. That's, that's a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I, you know, um, I can empathize, uh, with that story when I, um, I had my second knee surgery and this was like a really brutal experience of being knocked over on an electric bike and getting my ribs crushed uh, and uh. being bedridden for like six months. Um, I think those moments are really transformational moments in one's life. It really sheds your ego <laughs> essentially. Um, no doubt. yeah. And I do feel like that was such a big turning point for my own life. Um, right before I actually started this podcast. So, oh, that's um, beautiful. What a beautiful <laughs> awakening you had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, uh, yeah. So that was uh, a big moment of re realizing also just our mortality and how fragile this life is. And I think really, um, encouraging myself to just go for, go for it because there is no, this is not a dress rehearsal. Um, mm. this is just life. So thank you so much, Dominic. What do you want to tell our listeners about, their wellness, you know, what's your kind of main takeaway, your call to action, if you will, um, for all people listening, especially men, since that's your your target audience. Yeah, I mean, uh, to beat the dead horse here, it's it's the emotional fluency, right? That practice of learning how to feel your feelings, name those feelings, be with those feelings in a non-reactive way, and then to learn how to express those feelings. And then ultimately to learn how to hold space for someone else's emotions and feelings. And this is at the dead center of you understanding what your purpose is, because your purpose springs from a feeling, not a logical thought, right? Your purpose comes from this deep-rooted knowing of, I'm meant to do this. And intimacy and connection comes from feelings, not logical thinking, right? It's like, I don't think I love somebody. I love someone because I feel I love someone. And and learning how to have access to your heart 
is the very thing that's going to illuminate the most important things that you want in your life. So whether that's joining a men's group um, or starting your own men's group, whether that's going to um, a, a, a weekend retreat like the Mankind Project, which is a group that I've been involved with and highly recommend, whether it's checking out my stuff, you know, and the Great Man Within podcast, we have 300 episodes where we talk all about these kinds of things. Um, and in my, my Instagram account, which is where, yes, me and you found me, um, I post daily on this stuff and really bite-sized nuggets teaching you how to tap into your emotions and feelings and what women want and really demystifying all the, the weirdness around this stuff, making it super practical. So yeah, if there's one thing I want the, the listeners, the men who are listening um, is about that emotional fluency. And for the women who are listening, you know, and, and, and assuming that you have men in your life that you want to, um, you know, want to, to understand more effectively, it is developing that practice where you can listen to your man, where he feels psychologically safe to open up and reveal. And that's, you know, bringing no judgment, bringing no advice, bringing no agenda, and then instead being empathetic, listening, relating, and valuing, praising what, what he shares with you. Mm. Amazing, amazing, Dominic. Thank you so much. And uh, what is your Instagram handle? Where can people find you? Yeah, it's Dominic Q. And hopefully you'll be able to maybe toss that in the show notes just because Dominic is difficult. It's D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K-Q. Um, and I'll be the only one you'll find with that name there. So it'd be a quick find. Amazing. Yes. Please check out Dominic's Instagram account. It's filled with so much wisdom. I feel like I'm always like liking every post that you, uh, <laughs> that you put out there. <laughs> like well, if I could double like it or triple like it, I, I would. Um, so thank you so much. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about the embodied male and how to show up in your life and relationships with Dominic Quart Oh my gosh, you're gonna have Quart to help me. Cortuccio, Cortuccio. Cortuccio. You, you say it with Italian hands, kind of like you put a hand in there, it's 10% okay. easier. Cortuccio, Dominic See? Cortuccio. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you so much. And you can tune into Gateways to Awakening, where we host one on one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well being, and spirituality. Thanks again.